Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. We are so honored that you would take a few minutes and you would join us, even if it's through an app on your phone right now. We're just honored that you would spend the time with us. And I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time with us in person, we would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. So make plans to join us. But right now, I hope that you enjoy this message and we hope that it encourages you and it blesses you today. I'm excited because we're starting a series today called The Truth Is. Y'all say The Truth Is. And if you've been alive for longer than 15 seconds, all right, uh, you can see that culture is in an interesting place. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it is not, culture, I would say, is very far from God right now. And I just want to tell you, we're not the type of church to just bash everything terrible in the world. That's just not what we do here. Uh, but I, we do, we did want to address some things that happen in culture uh, because we think and we know that culture has bought into a lot of lies. They bought into a lot of lies. And these lies, they actually sound good. Like they sound empowering, right? Like they sound like, man, that's, it's a good bumper sticker. You know what I mean? Like these, that would be good on a t-shirt or that'd be a great slogan. Um, and we hear these phrases and we take them as truth because they sound so good. And they sound so empowering. And But as you begin to look at these and we begin to look at what's been accepted in culture, we begin to see that they're actually not truth at all. They're lies. And so what we want to do today is we want to share with you every week of this series a lie that culture is believing right now. And we want to tell you, but the truth is, boom, and we're going to give you the truth. Does that make sense? So we're going to address some of this stuff. And some of the stuff we're going to talk about in the next few weeks uh, is stuff like today. Uh, we're going to talk about live your truth. Y'all ever heard that before? It sounds so amazing. Just live your truth, girl, right? Just, hey, live your truth, queen, whatever. I don't know what they, people will say. But I had to look up a word this week. I know. I don't know why I said that. I had to look up a word today that I, I don't even want to say because it might be bad. But on Urban Dictionary, I'm, it was like a, a defeating moment. So I almost texted the young people at our church and was just like, what does this mean? But then I was like, I just, I couldn't. And uh, again, I want to say the word, but it could be just awful. So I don't want to end up on the internet. Um, anyway, live your truth. All right, here's another one. You're wrong for telling me I'm wrong. Y'all ever heard someone say that before? They, they may have believed something like that. Uh, it, it's sometimes uh, we call this tolerance, and we're going to talk about that next week a little bit. So tolerance, is that really a biblical idea? Where does that come from? We're going to look at that. Uh, th here's another one. I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. Maybe you've heard that before. And, uh, and, you know, there's a rise in things like crystals and that sort of thing. And we're going to like, okay, well, where does that fall with the Bible, right? We're going to look at that. Uh, here's another one that Pastor Stephanie's going to talk about. Here's the thing we hear. The future is female. Y'all ever heard that? Anybody see Barbie in here? Come on. Uh, you know, huh? Okay, yeah, we did go see Barbie uh, in the, what is it, the Ken's House Master Dojo, something, I don't know, Casa House, I don't know. Uh, I didn't like it as much as Stephanie did. But the future is female. We're going to talk about feminism. Is that really a biblical idea or is that a culture idea? And what does the Bible really teach, all right? And so, and then the, we're going to talk about this one. This one's actually famous in Disney movies, Follow Your Heart. Y'all ever heard of that? Like, just follow your heart. And uh, I don't know about you, but my doctor says I need to, like, not do that because, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I've lost 30 pounds, by the way, everybody. So come on. 
feel, hey, I'm going to come up here shirtless one day. Y'all better be, y'all better be ready. I'm going to get a false sense of, I got to rein it in. All right, listen, quit guys. All right. Um, I want to share with you though, before we get started, some stats that I want, I did this on purpose to alarm you. I wanted to show you what culture has done to self-proclaimed Christians, not only just self-proclaimed Christians, but self-proclaimed Christians who are teenagers. So these are students, all right? And uh, God bless Shelby and other, student, or other teachers in here that have to deal with all this stuff all the time. So here, a study was found uh, that was self-proclaimed Christian teens, all right? Here we go. And by the way, if you're taking notes today, you can do that in the app. They're filling in the blank. There's a lot of good things in there. Before I get to this, uh, you should take notes. I think this is a very important series. You should take notes. Download our app, any app store, oasistn.church. Notes are right there at the bottom. You can click on it. Also, something new we started because of this series is we now have an online bookstore on our website on the app where you can buy resources that we're getting this, we're, we're using to write these messages, all right? So you can find that on the app. You can find that on our website, oasistn.church slash resources, and you can do that. So um, yeah, <laughs> here we go. And uh, I can see uh, that, that you guys would, I think that you guys would benefit from that. We don't make any money off of it. They're honestly just Amazon links. So just click on them and you can buy them. All right, here's the stats of self-proclaimed Christian teens. Here we go. 41% were uncertain whether Jesus was physically resurrected. 63% didn't believe Jesus to be the son of the one true God. Christians. I don't even know how this is possible. Christians, okay? 44% believed the Bible to just be one of many authoritative voices about Jesus. All right? 33% believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Only 5% studied the Bible daily. That was down from 8% in 1991. Um, a growing majority believe the Holy Spirit is only a symbol of God's presence or power rather than the uh, person of a tr the person in the Trinity uh, that we believe. Uh, 60% are uncertain, unsettled, or confused about whether the Bible can be trusted. 70% express persistent, measurable doubts that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. Okay? Now, if you weren't aware, and I, and I don't want to, I'm not, uh, y'all know me, if you've been here, if you haven't, trust me, go back and listen to messages. We're not doom and gloom type people, right? Like, I, I'm not like there's a devil behind every bush type guy. But culture is attacking the truth of God's word. And here's the deal. I, I am not saying this as a way to, you know, give the middle finger to culture and be like, well, we're, that's not our heart. Okay, my heart and my job is to teach you what the Bible says. All right, and the Bible says we're to live or we're to speak truth in love. You got to have both. You, you can't do one or the other. So today I want to start talking about truth. And where truth kind of comes from. And, and, and next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And so uh, if you look at these stats and you see the state of where people are, especially young people, uh, that's why, by the way, Oasis Kids is so important. You know, we changed our curriculum to fit, uh, to, to teach them about the Bible. 
all right? They're not just in there. These aren't just cute little Bible stories. No, they're learning about God's word. Why? Because if we can get to their heart first, man, we'll, we'll have a better chance that they grow up believing in the Bible, believing that God's word is true, believing that Jesus was a real person that really resurrected and does all these things. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why if you serve in Oasis Kids, you are not just babysitting. You're helping shape the next generation. Come on, y'all give them a hand if the people that serve. Come on, let them hear you in there. I think it's awesome. But the, the, the truth is this, is that culture is confused. It's confused. And you can see this confusion play out in education and sexuality, gender, the Bible, the news. I mean, it's everywhere. We are a very confused culture. We're a very confused society. And I want to tell you that it's our job, all right, that we, me and Pastor Stephanie, we take this so seriously. It's our job to teach you the truth of God's word and so that you can be equipped to deal with some of the lies that come at us. Because they, they're so crafty and some of them have been around for so long, or they're just so accepted that we don't even think about it anymore. We just hear them and we go, oh yeah, that's great. And I, I don't want us to be that way. And so today we're going to look at lies. We're going to look at some lies. And today the lie that we're looking at is live your truth. And, and that's a really tricky one. We've all heard it. It's all been on shows. It's all you know, been on movies. You see it on people's Facebooks. Just live your truth. And typically when someone says this, it's to, uh, for, for they, they may have decided to live a different way of life. They may have decided to do something different with their life. And that's people's way of encouraging them, of saying, hey, just live your truth. No big deal, right? Like that's the idea behind this live your truth thing. And, and it does, it sounds good, right? It, it says like, hey, you just live your life, right? Live it the way you want to live, right? Like, hey, you, you live life the way you see fit. Like, hey, it's your life. Live your truth. That's actually really harmful. That's not truth. That's a lie. And that's something the enemy has used to get into the hearts and to justify maybe some behaviors that are harmful to people and that are harmful to their families and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, this is something that we are facing now, and it's kind of crept its head up in a new way now, but this is not a new problem. This is a very, very old problem. You see, the nation of Israel, um, way back when, they had disobeyed God's commands for a long time. And the Bible actually says that God allowed them to be taken over by the Babylonians. So there was this country, this nation, this kingdom called Babylon. Y'all say Babylon. And they took over uh, Israel it says this in Daniel chapter one, you can follow along behind me or you can read it starting in verse one, chapter one. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, uh, Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, come on, y'all say Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. There's going to be a spelling test next week. <laughs> I'm joking. I, had, I couldn't do this. I just had to copy and paste it anytime I wanted to write it. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim in Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Ooh, that's not good. All right. Then the king ordered uh, that guy, uh, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah, Judah's royal family, and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So he captured this, and then he's like, hey, I want the best of the best of the royal bloodline. I want them brought to me. Here's what he's going to do. It says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. I would have probably been the first one they took, you know. Uh, but... It says this, listen, this is important. 
Make sure they are very well versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. So they, they, uh, they took these people and they were important people in the kingdom of Israel and they indoctrinated them. They basically said, hey, forget what they know to be true and train them into what we believe and what we do. And it, they indoctrinated them. And I'm telling you, that's, that's the same type of thing is happening today. The enemy wants to indoctrinate us, indoctrinate your kids into thinking the way that he wants them to think and not the way God wants them to think. And then he said this, <clears throat> the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Man, they were eating good. Uh, they, were, they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. You may have recognized them as their Babylonian names, which was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all know those people? So this is Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales person, okay? So... God's chosen people were living in a culture that was very different than what God had set aside for them. You see, God gave them a, a list of instructions. It's found in the really boring books in the Bible, right? Leviticus and these sort of things. These were rules. And God said, hey, you're going to be different than all the other kingdoms. And here's all the rules that are going to make you different. You're going to be set apart. And so what God was really doing is he was setting the stage for Jesus, who would be very different. And he would rule very, very differently, right? And so he was doing all these things. And then all of a sudden they were taken and they were put into Babylon. All right. So today I want to talk to you about the location where this happened of Babylon. Y'all say Babylon. All right. And so here's what I want you to see today. Okay. Babylon has been around for longer than Babylon. Okay. Y'all are like, that doesn't make sense. You're right. Just listen, hang with me. Okay. Uh, but here's what I want you to understand. Write this down. Babylon isn't just a geographical location, it's a mentality. Okay? Babylon isn't just a geographical location, it's a mentality. Babylon is a lie that the devil has been feeding us since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Next week, we're going to spend all of our time talking about the Garden of Eden and looking at that. But I just want to give you a highlight real quick. All right, so Genesis chapter 3, uh, God has created the whole universe. And now he's sitting there, Adam's by himself, and he gives Adam the instruction, hey, don't eat the tree. He then is like, well, Adam, you look lonely. I'm going to make you a hot woman out of your rib. He puts him to sleep, takes a rib, makes Eve. Eve is like, oh, this this is pretty cool. And all of a sudden, uh, we get the, the serpent. He comes in the picture and he screws everything up. And the first words out of the mouth of the enemy in the Bible recorded is this. Did God really say? Like, did, did God really say, right? Did he really say the first thing that enemy does is he tries to question the truth of God's word? Did God really say that you couldn't do that? I'm like, come on. That sounds unreasonable, right? Like, did God really say? And, and that's a tactic that he's used ever since the beginning, and it's a tactic he's still using today. Listen, the devil will tell you, hey, listen, I'm all about you, and, and you need to be all about you, right? That's what the devil, the devil also says, listen, God's all about himself. He doesn't really want happiness for you. He, you. You know, you be all about you. God's kind of all about himself. He seems a little selfish, right? And that's the Babylon mentality, 
that he's been feeding us ever since the beginning. It's the Babylon mentality. You fast forward a few chapters, we go to Genesis chapter 11, and, and it says this, the Tower of Babel story. It says, for they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we, make it, make, we may make a name for ourselves. They said, hey, forget it. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And, the, and then God confused other languages, and he, that's where all the different languages came from in, in the world. And then it says that's why it was called Babel. Y'all say Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Babel is where we get the word Babylon. Babel means confused. Babylon means sown in confusion. That's what Babylon means. And every time, listen to me, every time you buy into the lie of Babylon, the Babylon mentality, the result is confusion. Every time. Our culture bought into the lie of Babylon, and we're confused, right? And, and it's the thing about today's culture that's so sad. Truth is confused. It's confused. Uh, think about it for a second. People are spending more money on mental health, on coping, on numbing, on medicating. Why? Because people are feeling more pain. They're more depressed. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's intimidation. And it all stems from being confused about the truth. That God's truth has been confused. And they bought into a lie. Many of us in this room, we may have bought into a lie and it's causing you a lot of confusion. It's causing you a lot of pain. Why? Because you're living outside of the design that God's created for you. And so not only does this happen at the beginning of the Bible, but at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, it happens there. And it shows Babylon is not just a place it's a mentality. It says this, Revelation 17, the name written on her forehead. All right, so God is judging people. He's judging what people have done. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. Welcome to church, everybody. All right, so, but it's a mentality. This is, this is one of the things at the end of time that God is going to judge. He's going to judge the Babylon mentality, this rebellious mentality. All right, again, it's not a location. It's an idea. In fact, God would go to say that this is like the greatest of sins, pride. The fact that you don't need him. The fact that you would reject what he has said. And so it's at the beginning of Genesis. It's at the end in Revelation. Now I'm going to show it to you in the middle of your Bible in Isaiah. It says now, and if you have a heading in your Bible, it probably says the fall of Babylon right before this. All right, here's what it says. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. You have trusted in your wickedness and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge misleads you when you say to yourself, I am, and there's none besides you, besides me. Listen, that sounds a lot like live your truth. You do you, right? Like, hey, if it feels right, do it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, right? All of that is a lie. All of that is the Babylon mentality. All of that is something that God would look at and he would go, no, that is not the way. So what is, if I could summarize the Babylon mentality, here's how I would put it to you. The Babylon mentality, it elevates self and it lowers God. The Babylon mentality, it will elevate self and it will lower God. It elevates what you want, 
what your desires are, what your cravings are, what your heart tells you to do. And it actually devalues and it lowers what God has said, what God does say and what God does expect. And it's happening right now. It's, it even happens in Christianity. This idea, right? Like in Christianity, people love it if Christianity is all about God loving you, God forgiving you, and God letting you do what you want. But that's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what following Christ, the Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. Come on now, that does not sound like a walk in the park to me. But some of us have bought into the lie that Christianity is all about elevating me, forgiving me, loving me, and lowering what God says and what God expects of us. And the Babylon mentality, listen, it will teach us that Christianity is actually restrictive. Think about what the devil did in the garden. He said, did God really say that? Like, did he really say you couldn't eat of that tree? And he made God's positive command. He turned it negative. And he said, did God really say that? And, and the Babylon mentality will make us believe that the Christian life is restrictive. That like God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to live your life. God is rejecting who you are as a person. And God is actually just suffocating you. He's restricting you. But I just want to tell you, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches us that, man, following God is better than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. That's the life I want to live. But we've bought into this lie. And the Babylon, or the Bible would say that the Babylon mentality is pride. That's at the center of it. It's just pride. The pride mentality, the Babylon mentality. We're going to look at a story where that happened, and it didn't go so well. All right, so let's look at Daniel chapter 4. Let's look at this story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. So this brother went to sleep, and he has a dream. And as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind, listen to me, terrified me. Terrified me. There's a troubled soul that comes with the Babylon mentality. Just because you're, you're just not living in the design that God has. And there's this troubled soul. He's terrified. And so I just want to share with you this dream to save us some time today. In the dream, there's this lush tree. It has shade everywhere. And the people of his kingdom are like enjoying life under the shade. It's nice. Come on, yesterday, I, that, where I got so burned was at my son's soccer game. And they don't play soccer games where trees are, by the way. They never do. And so there's just no shade. And I'm telling you, my father-in-law had the great idea. He was like, I'm going to go sit in the shade and like by the goal and watch it. And I, now I'm like, he's a genius. Why didn't I do this, right? I think shade is awesome. And so this, this tree was shading the people of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, the tree got knocked down, and it, but its stump and its roots remained. And so Nebuchadnezzar was like, oh, I bet that that's one of my enemies. I bet, this, I bet this dream is telling a story about one of my enemies. And so he calls all of his wise men in, all these his officials and his advisors, and none of them could interpret the dream. They're like, dude, I don't know. It just sounds like a weird dream. You know, how do you, how do you interpret this? But Daniel had had success in interpreting dreams. God had gifted him in that. And so he called Daniel, and Daniel delivers the bad news and says this, you, O king, are the tree. You're the tree. Hey, brother, you're going to get knocked down. I just I hate to tell you that was not an enemy's tree, that tree that you that troubled you so bad. That was you. 
And here's what Daniel says. You'll be driven away from people and you'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. All right, or like a vegan. I'm joking. Um, I love vegans. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I do love meat, though. I'll be honest. Uh, uh, th- see, that's just, this is in the Bible. Veganism is far from God. All right, I'm joking. It's the, ba- it's the Babylon mentality. I'm joking. Um, what was I saying? You will be, <laughs> you'll be driven away from people and you'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle and drench with dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you, uh, by, uh, for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. Uh, the, the command to leave the stump and the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge the heaven's rule. I don't want you to miss this. Listen, 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 listen. Everybody listen. Leave that, leave that scripture up, please. I love this because listen, your life might get cut down because of decisions that you've made, because you may have bought into some lies and your life might get cut down, but God always leaves the stump and the roots. Why? Because you can always be restored. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God can restore anything. Can I get an amen from somebody that's listening today? Listen, it it happens and it happens for never. If you can just understand that today, you may have come in here feeling like a stump and you feel like you don't have roots. They're roots. And God can grow it back. God can grow your marriage back. God can bring you back, all right? But there's some caveats to this that we're going to talk about in a second, all right? And so uh, if there's anything else, if there's nothing else you hear, I want you to hear this. God loves you. God wants to restore you in this place. There's always a loving God who is ready to give you another chance. But it's when we acknowledge that heaven rules that we can be restored, We can't do it without acknowledging and putting God in the right place. That's what it takes, all right? And then it says this, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? My man is walking on thin ice. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what I decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with wild animals, and you will eat grass like ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone who wishes immediately. What had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of the bird. What? Some scholars believe the man actually kind of turned into a little bit of an animal. And he actually did those things. Some scholars think that this was symbolic. Regardless, my brother was not having a good day. Y'all know what I'm saying? This is not good. And so he, he was far from God. And it's not good for any of us that walk away from God. You might not be out in the yard over here eating grass. I hope not. But if you did want to do that while we're gone this week and mow my grass, even if it's with your mouth, I don't care. Uh, but it, it, it's still, it's not good. You never end up in a good place. There's nothing the enemy offers you that will take you to a good place. There's nothing. 
There's lies that we buy into. And guess what? They're not taking you to a good place. The Bible says this. It's not in your notes. It says, uh, there's a way that seems right to man. Feels good. There's a way that seems right. Man, it just, it feels like this is who I am. It feels like this is what I should do. That feels like, I could, well, it's a way that, that leads, uh, that feels like, man, it's, it's a good thing. That's right. There's a way that seems right to man. But the second part of that verse says, but in the end, it leads to death. Man, the devil never leads you anywhere good. And there's this thing happening in culture. There's a word that goes around a lot called dysphoria. Y'all probably heard this word, dysphoria. A lot of times it's associated with gender dysphoria. And, and here's the deal. Dysphoria is, is a confusion, right? It's a sadness of the soul. It's confusing. And here's the deal. I'm not even saying that the sadness and the dysphoria aren't real. I'm, I validate that. Some people might feel that way. And listen, I empathize with that. All I'm saying is that the solutions that culture is running after are not the solutions that are from God. And they're not going to work. I think Jesus is the only thing that will work. I think Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, is the only thing that can truly make us whole, make us feel accepted, make us in right standing with God. That's what the Bible teaches. And here's the deal. No matter what culture will say about truth, living your truth, there is no truth, whatever it is, here's what I know. There is truth, all right? And the truth is, there is truth, and it's only found in Jesus. That's the truth. There is truth, and it's only found in Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. It's not, it's not found outside of this book. Because what God says is truth. God cannot lie. It's impossible. It's out of his character. It's impossible for God to lie. So when he speaks, what he says is true, whether you like it or not. That's just, it is what it is. Because God's word, God is outside of us. What he says is truth. So let's keep going in the story. At the end of time, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Don't you wish some of your Facebook friends that could be said, your sanity was restored. Guys, we're going into an election year. That ain't going to happen. All right. Uh, then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splinter, splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Listen to this, when you choose to live God's way, when you choose to live in God's truth, he doesn't make you one of his peasants. He, he honors you. That doesn't mean that you're going to get rich. It doesn't, I'm not saying that, but you are honored among God. God is not looking at you at one of the peasants in his kingdom. No, you are an heir to his kingdom is what the Bible says. And it says, my advisors and nobles sought me out and, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. God gave him a second chance. Those roots were still there. The stump was still there. God gave him a second chance. Listen, when we live in truth, when we live in God's truth, things will be better than they were before because we're living in God's design. When we live in God's design, we can receive God's blessings in our life. 
But when we go outside of that, that's when things get wonky. That's when we can hurt ourselves, hurt others. But when we live, God can restore anything better than it was before. And I love how this ends. It says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So, hey, you're saying, okay, I want to live in truth. I don't want to turn into an animal and go eat grass. I want to live in truth, right? Here we go. Y'all write this down. I live in truth when I exalt the king of heaven. I live in truth when I exalt the king of heaven. Notice the word king. Come on, y'all say the word king. You have to exalt him as the king. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a democracy, and we get to have a vote. Your voice matters. Get out and vote, and if you want your voice to be heard, cast a vote. And, and we are a people that are governed by ourselves, right? Like, and that works in governments, but that's terrible when it comes to your spiritual life. That does not work. And we, so we have this hard time understanding what a kingdom is. We don't live in a democracy. And I love living in a democracy. Lord, I love it. It's awesome. I love America. It's great. But when it comes to your faith, we don't live in a democracy, you don't get a vote. You don't get an opinion. You just don't. You live in a kingdom. We follow a king, and we have to exalt him as the king. It's only God's opinion that matters. Come on. It's only God's opinion that matters. It's what he says that matters. And we exalt him as the king. We recognize him and say, you know what? I know what culture's saying. I know that this might get me in trouble with culture. It might get me canceled, whatever. But God, I don't live. I live in your kingdom. And what your kingdom says and what you say is the king is what matters. A lot of people today, a lot of Christians, we love the attributes of God but we don't like his absolutes. We, we live in a culture where Christians, they love the attributes of God, but they don't love the absolutes because in kingdoms, there aren't, there aren't any, there's nothing vague, there's absolutes. What the king says is what, the, what happens, period. And we have to live like that as Christians. Well, Pastor Clint, that just feels so exclusive. Well, it is. Truth is exclusive. There can't be two truths. There's one truth. It's exclusive, and that makes people feel uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean that we can take the Bible and smack them on the head. And no, that's not what we do. But what we believe is exclusive. What Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the light. It, it is exclusive. It's a kingdom. We have to exalt him as the king. That's why we serve, by the way. We serve a king in a kingdom. That's why we give, by the way. We give to the king, and he's a good king. Man, that's why we do these things, right? We honor the king. And listen, if you want to live in truth today, you need to exalt him as the king of heaven. I love it says this in Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. I will praise your name forever and ever. All right, so that's the first one. I live in truth when I exalt the king of heaven. Number two, I live in truth when I acknowledge that God does everything right and his ways are just. God does everything right and his ways are just. You know, as Christians, we believe that that's found. Those, those things, 
that teach us what is right and just, they're found in God's word. They're found in the Bible. And that includes parts of the Bible that we don't like. You know, there's, there's a ton of different things that happen in, in, uh, in culture. And I, I wish I could take a side and I wish I could do things the way I want. But guess what? I don't, I don't do what Clint wants. I do what God wants. When I do stuff the way Clint wants, my word, I mess stuff up so bad. But, but everything's found in here. Now, I'm not going to pretend to say that everything in this book is black and white, very easy. To, there are some things in here that are a bit of a spectrum, okay? But there's, a, there's a more than not things in here that just make it real clear about the way that you need to live. And as Christians, we try to, a lot of times, dance around these certain things. And it's like, well, no, that, we don't have the ability to do that. God's word, though, is always true. Well, I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor Clint. Well... I would just lovingly tell you it doesn't matter. That doesn't make this less true. It doesn't. God's word is truth because God is right in everything he does and his ways are just. That's what it says in the Bible. We just read that verse a few minutes ago. This is true. You know, people ask me, especially when, when stuff happens in culture, you know, or an event happens and, well, hey, what do you think about this, Pastor Clint? Like, what are you, what's your opinion on this? And I, what makes people think I have an opinion? You know, I don't have an opinion. I have this. I do what this says, period. I don't have an opinion. God says that's wrong, but I love people anyway. But, you know, I, I, I just live by God's truth the best I can. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. I get it wrong all the time. But this is truth, and I have to live my life by truth. I have to acknowledge that God is right, and he's just. No matter what I feel, that's the truth. It says this in Isaiah, Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Why in the world would he do that? Keep going. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways my ways, declared the Lord. He's saying, hey, you ain't like me. And, and you don't need to try to be me. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is why we don't give our kids candy every time they ask for it, by the way. Like... My kids, if they could live off of candy, they would do it. It seemed especially good night Halloween time. They just get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy every day for six months. Get candy, get candy, get candy. I must get candy. That's just what they do. And if we said yes every time they want to have candy, they would be dead. They have no ability to turn that off in their life. But we don't do that. Why? Because it's bad for them. God feels that way to us sometimes. Why? Doesn't it seem restrictive that God created two genders? No, because that's God's design. And he's right in everything he does. And he's just in everything. Well, isn't there a little wriggle room here? Like, when does life... No, God's word teaches us. 
And, and he knows what's best for us. And he knows where we can experience the biggest blessings of God is when we live in that design. And when we go outside of that design, it hurts us. We have to understand that sometimes. And, you know, if you believe parts of the Bible um, that you like and you don't believe in other parts of the Bible that you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust. It's you that you trust. We just can't. We, we make bad gods, guys. We're really bad at it. Timothy Keller said this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Listen, you should, God, you're a person and you're broken. There's going to be things in your life that you're like, oh, I don't feel like that's right. Well, that's, that's you living in this tension. And then in that moment, you have to choose. I'm going to submit to what God thinks here. God, I trust you. You're a great king. And I acknowledge that you're right in everything you do and you're just. Third thing, last thing is this. I walk in truth. When I walk in humility, y'all say humility. humility. Live your truth is not humble. That's not walking in humility. It sounds great. It sounds empowering. It's a, it sounds amazing. But that's not walking in humility. The Bible has a lot to say about walking in humility. That's actually the people that God can bless. Don't live your truth. Live God's truth. Live the truth of God's word. Submit to God. Serve God. Love God with your whole life. Man, I'm not living my truth. I'm living God's truth. I, I want to submit to what God has. Uh, listen, that, that is why we do what we do here. Is we, I mean, We're just trying to do what God's called us to do and to teach you what God says so that you can go out there and you can make the biggest difference possible in your family, at your work, and everyone that you come across. And that's not going to happen if we don't walk in humility to go, you know what? I'm going to submit to this area. I'm not going to buck against the authority of God in my life. I'm going to submit and just trust. You see, pride, listen, will keep you from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There might be some people in here that don't think that you need Jesus in your life. Right? You might think that you have this whole thing figured out that, like, you know what? I like church. It's cool. Uh, but I don't really need God in my life. I'm doing pretty good. Are you? We make really lousy gods. We're really bad at it. You need somebody in your life that can guide you and direct you and to lead you. But I would tell you if you're thinking those things, that's pride talking. You're not walking in humility. I can do this by myself. That sounds a lot like what Nebuchadnezzar was saying at the beginning of this story. That makes you the Lord of your life. That makes you the God of your life. And that's no way to live your life. In fact, God gave everything so that that could change. He made a way so that you didn't have to be the God of your life. You didn't have to be the Lord of your life. Jesus could be the Lord of your life. But it's with humility that we have to receive that today. I love this, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So many of us have declared with our mouth that, man, I am. I'm the Lord. I'm making decisions. I'm doing what I want. You know, I don't care. That's, but the Bible says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That means you can have a relationship with a God of the universe that desperately wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of his family. And the thing is, is that one day you will learn that God's kingdom is real. One day you will learn that all of this has been true. And what you do in this moment and what you do with Jesus will determine if you get to experience God's kingdom forever or not. But God's given you this opportunity. He's given you this moment right now to say, you know what? I am not the Lord of my life. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And if you're in here and you want to make a decision today and you want to make that decision to say, you know what, Clint, I need God. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to give you that opportunity today. I don't want you to get out of here without making that decision because this is what it's all about. It's the ultimate form of just humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you because I've messed this thing up. And if that's you, you want to make that decision today on the count of three, I just want to ask you to slip your hand up. One, two, three. Come on, lift your hand up. That's you. It's okay. All right, put it down. And if that's you, you can say these words. We're actually all going to say these words together out loud. Say, dear God, come on. Dear God, I need you. Come into my life. I invite you to be Lord of my life. And in the best way I know how, come on, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a hand for the people that made that decision today.